0: Thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time that we have together to, to fellowship, Lord, and grow, but also receive encouragement, God. Because we need your people, we need your church. Because when we go out here on Monday morning, the world assaults us with its lies, the devil schemes, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, God, we need to feast today, this morning, as we sing about you and we adore you through song. And as we hear your word, we need to hear the truths of your word, God, to be reminded of them. And we need to partake of the Lord's Supper, remembering that it is about the future and that we are awaiting Christ's return when he will come and bring true justice into this world. And he will right all wrongs, God. And we long for that day as your people. So, as we wait for that day, God, let us... Let us pursue holiness and righteousness now, God. Lord, we pray for all those in our congregation that we know that are hurting, and in need, in different pains and different procedures. God, we pray that you would come near and draw near to them, comfort them. God, help us, help us today. Let our minds be focused on you. That our hearts be open, our ears be open to hear your word and to be transformed by it. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Come to the portion of our service where we worship through the giving of resources, of, of money. And if you're a guest, uh, you're not obligated to, to take part in this, though you are welcome to. Uh, but this is the time where we di- get together with our families and, and pray about how the Lord is leading us to give so that we can see God's kingdom advanced in the entire world. So take this time to pray together and give as you see fit. Morning, excited to be with you this morning. We'll Be in Matthew chapter six, verses twenty-five through thirty-four. Uh, funny story: I was talking with Casey d Dufour last night on the phone. And he said, uh, "You a- you anxious about your sermon tomorrow?" I was like, "That's a good one." <laughs> so, but uh, in all uh, in all transparency, so that you can kind of um, see see know me a little bit better. Um, this passage is probably the one that I've met, read most in my life, um, almost on a weekly basis. Um, so this, this passage 6, 25 through 34, means a lot to me, um, and uh, hopefully you'll see some of my heart and the things that I struggle with, and this being a very big one, I almost feel like I should be the one sitting in the pew listening to this and not the one preaching it. So, we'll read the text and then we'll get started. and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's a man by the name of George Mueller. Some of you may know him, may not. He was a pastor, spent most of his time in Bristol, England, And what he's most known for is his love and compassion for orphans. He loved orphans. He actually built five orphanages in his life and he cared for over 10,000 orphans. Now, what's astounding about that is during his time, he never accepted a salary in 68 years of his ministry. He never asked anybody directly for money. He never went into debt and he never took out a loan. And every time... The orphans were fed. I'll just give you one example. Is that there was one day where uh, his worker had come to him and say, we have about 300 orphans and uh, we, we don't have any food today. We don't have any food to feed them with. So George Mueller says, bring them all in the dining room. I'm, I'm just going to pray, which was his usual thing, because it often was that they didn't have food for that day. And so he brings them all in there and he begins to pray. And at that time, he gets a knock on his door. And it's the milkman. Milkman says, look, my truck broke down right in front of your orphanage. And this milk is going to go bad. Could you, could you use it? He said, yeah, I can really use it. Same thing happened with the baker. The baker was up all night. He said, for some reason I just felt like I needed to bring you all this bread. Can you use it? He said, yes. Yes. And that's just one instance of God continually providing for George Mueller and his ministry to those orphans. And what's so astounding, too, is one statement that he, uh, I'll just read it for you. One statement that he said, and this sums up his entire ministry. How the means are to come, I know not. But I know that God is almighty, that the, the hearts of all are in his hands, and that if he pleaseth to influence persons, They will send help. Man, I'm just thinking about being put in these similar situations and what is our response? How would we respond if in such dire circumstances? And I can only say that I've fretted and I've worried over much less. Is that when put in those difficult situations, how do we typically respond? We typically respond by worry and fear. And where is God now? What is he going to do? Does he even hear me? But how do we get to this point where we say, trust supersedes fear. Trust supersedes worry. It trumps it. Where do we say, hey, look, we need to kill this sin of anxiety. We need to kill this sin of worry. We need to put this down. As Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, put to death whatever is earthly in you. How do we kill this sin of anxiety? How do we kill worrying over things? This is what I think Jesus is giving us in six twenty five through 34. And that's why I put it in the words of killing and combating. Because he's trying to help us. He's trying to give us truths to say, this is what you do. If you want to kill anxiety, if you want to kill worry, do it with this. Here's the tools. Kill it with these truths. And so today I hope that this helps you. What Jesus gives us is, is he gives us the, the arsenal to kill anxiety in our life. To kill worry. So let's listen to Jesus. The first way that we kill anxiety, we kill worry, is by reflecting on God's attributes. And he gives us three attributes, and we'll go through each one of them. The first one is omnipotence. Kill worry by reflecting on God's omnipotence. And that's meaning God's exhaustive power and ability to do all things. He says it in verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Let me just give you a couple of situations to consider when we talk about God's omnipotence and his ability to do things. Let's say that I meet Michael Jordan in the peak of his career. I say, Mr. Jordan, uh, I've seen you play and you've dunked over Larry Bird and I've seen you dunk over the tallest players, all, all these guys. But I'm, I'm really skeptical about your ability to make an uncontested layup. You know, I just, I just don't know if you, you can do that. Well, let's say I go to the world-renowned chef, which I really don't know who it is. But I say, Mr. Chef, I, uh, I, I've heard about your souffle, and it's to die for. And I know that you have the best filet mignon in the world. But I'm a little skeptical that you can make craft macaroni and cheese out of the box. I just, I don't know. Oh, let, me, let me bring it home. How about this? Uh, let's say I go to Mr. Al. Say, Mr. Al, I've seen some of the houses that you've designed and you've, you've drawn. They are beautiful. But I just really don't know if you can draw a smiley face. I, I'm, I'm questioning it. Oh, let's say I go to Dr. David. I'm picking on all the elders today. Let's say I go to Dr. David. And I say, Dr. David, I know you got a Ph.D. in agricultural science. Um, and I know that you grew up on a farm. But I, I just... I question whether you can start up a lawnmower. I just don't, I don't know. I just question that. Now, what's so absurd about all those statements? What's absurd is this. I went from the greater to the lesser. Is that if they can do this greater action, then they should be able to do this lesser action. If he can dunk a basketball over Larry Bird, I'm pretty sure he can make an uncontested layup, right? I'm going from the greater to the lesser. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's saying... If God can do this, then he certainly, he certainly can do this. And that's what he means by saying, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, you could say, well, Jesus is meaning here that, you know, life consists more than just, you know, what we put on our bodies and what we eat and what we intake. I I think that's true. Life is more than just eating and more than just putting on clothes. But what he's saying is that the action of creating life is, Is more, it's more difficult, harder than clothing you and giving you food and giving you things to drink. So he's saying this like, if God can create you, he can bring you into existence, then he certainly can sustain you in this life. He certainly can. It's going from the greater to the lesser. If God can create you, then he surely can give you what you need. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He puts every star in the sky, and He knows every fiber of our DNA, knows every hair on our head, which for some of us is not very difficult. He knows all these things. And He has the ability to bring things out of nothing into existence. How could He not have the ability to sustain you and to keep everything together? The author of Hebrews says this when he says in verse Verse 3 of chapter 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God, this being Jesus Christ, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If God creates, then God sustains. He keeps it. Now what worry says, what anxiety says, it says the exact opposite. That's what worry says. It says, God, I, I, I know that you created me and then you brought me into existence and you breathed life into my nostrils, but I'm just skeptical that you can keep me alive while I'm here on earth. That's what worry says. Worry says, God, you create me, but God, I don't know if you even understand what I need. I don't, I don't know if you can provide that for me. I don't know if you can give me my daily bread. That's what worry says. God, you create, but God, you don't sustain. And what we all need to realize right now is that as you sit in this chair, these chairs you sit in, God sustains you. God sustains you even as you sit here, even as you sleep. God sustains you. He keeps you breathing and your heart beating. But how belittling is it when we worry and we are anxious? It's belittling to his character and to his power and to his nature because what we are saying when we worry, when we're anxious, is that God, I believe in Genesis 1, but I don't believe in the rest of the Bible that you can actually keep your people alive. God creates and God sustains. He's omnipotent. He has the power to do both. If he can do one, then he can do the other. If he can create you, then he can give you food, clothing, and drink to sustain you in this life. Fight anxiety by remembering that God is omnipotent. He is powerful and can give you everything that you need. Second one is this. God is omniscient meaning God's exhaustive knowledge on all things. He knows everything. That's why he says in verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Let me give you an example. Let's say I go to a doctor. Oh, I'll just pick on somebody else in here. Say I go to Corey St. Pay. I say, hey, Corey, man, I, I got something in the throat and my stomach's not feeling real good. I, I, I need some." He says, oh, okay, well, well you, need to, you need to do this. And, and I say, no, 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 Corey, no, no, no. You don't know who you're talking about. Uh, I need to do this, and I need to do this, right? So the guy who's uh, never, almost basically never picked up a science book, is telling the doctor, telling somebody who's experienced what he needs to do, what he needs to do for me, because he don't know. You know what he's talking about? It's insulting to his character and his intelligence. But is not, it's not that what worry says. That's what worry says. It assaults God's omniscience. It assaults his knowledge. It says, God, you must be ignorant to what I need. You must not know. You must not be all seeing and wise. You must be oblivious and ignorant to my current situation because if you knew what I was going through, you would know what to give me right now. That's what worry says. Worry says, God, you don't know what I need. Not only are you not powerful enough to give me what I need, but you don't know what I need. That's what anxiety says. That's what worry says. He says, you're oblivious, God. You don't know. But the truth is, he does know. He knows all things. He's all wise. So what we need to do is trust God and see that, you know what? He actually knows better than you. You think you know what you need, but he actually knows exactly what you need. God is omniscient. We shouldn't treat him like a sleeping giant. We shouldn't treat him like a sleeping giant, oblivious and ignorant to our current situations. He's not a sleeping giant. He's an all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing God, and he knows what you need and the outcome that you need better than you think you do. And lastly, God is compassionate. So not is He, not only is he all-powerful, not only is he all-knowing, but he's all-loving. He loves us. God's love for his image bearers. And that's what Jesus says here. Look at the birds. Consider the lilies. So Christ is imploring us to do something. He's saying, hey, look, why don't you step out and look at creation? See what's going on out here. See the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. See what's going on with them. Are they provided for? Do they have what they need? Yes. The birds have what they need. They eat and they drink. The lilies have what they need. They're sustained. And then he asked the value question. But how much more valuable are you than the birds and the lilies? You are much more valuable than them. Jesus understands the the creation order in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 climaxes, apexes at humanity is that we get the land, and we get the seas, and we get the creeping things, and we get the flying things. And then in verse 26, we get God saying, let's make man in our image. So humanity is the one who is made in the image of God. We don't get that description about creeping things, flying things, the land or the seas. We get that about His people. And so, if God provides for the lesser, the birds and the lilies, then how much more you... Why would He not provide for His people who have been made in His image? The thing is, is He loves us. He's made us in His image and He loves us. He's a heavenly Father and He wants to care for us as fathers should do. So Jesus is imploring, look, if He provides for the lilies, if He provides for the birds, how much more you? He is a loving Father to you. But what worry says, what anxiety says is this. God, you don't care. You don't love me, God. You must love the, the birds more, the lilies more. You must not love me. That's what worry says. But that is exactly what Jesus rebukes. He loves us because we are made in the image of God. And he is going to care for us like he does the birds and the lilies. If he provides for them, he will provide for us because we are made in his image. And so we need to fight worry, we need to fight anxiety with these three truths of God's attributes, God's character, that he is omnipotent, he is all powerful and can do anything. He's omniscient, he knows what we need and he knows when to give it to us and then he's loving, he's a loving father who wants to care for us. So what worry says, it says the exact opposite of all three of those things. Charles Quarles says this, Worry assumes that God is ignorant of his people's needs, lacks the power to meet their needs, or does not care enough about them. Worry questions God's ability, God's knowledge, and God's love. So fight it with these things. Use it. It's in your arsenal. God is loving, God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful. So when temptation comes to worry about a situation, fight it with these. Kill it with these. Next point, number two, is this. Kill worry by analyzing the cost, verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? We all um, might have heard this term, cost-benefit analysis, basically meaning you want to determine how much you're going to put into something, and then you want to look at what the revenue is going to be. What's the return going to be? Because we all know we don't want to put a a lot of cost or a lot of time into something that's going to have little to no return. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying is that what does worry get you? Jesus is a very practical man. This is not a modern concept. You know how people usually say, oh, don't worry, it doesn't get you anywhere? This is Jesus. That's Jesus saying this. He said, what does worry get you? It gets you nothing. It gains you nothing. You spend a lot of time doing it, but you actually don't have any outcome from it. It actually doesn't change your situation at all. You don't get anything from it. You spend a lot of time in it, and you get little from it. But what does worrying assume? What, what does it say about us? So not only does it waste our time, but it's actually done out of a sense of pride. And you might be thinking, how, how is worry and pride, how are they related in any sense? Well, I think Peter tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let me just read this for you, 5, 5 through 7. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, here's the verse that we all love. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We all know verse 7. That's a great verse. Cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, here's the question. Why does Peter talk about humility and pride right before he talks about anxiety? Because the issue with anxiety is that it's done out of pride. We worry, and we fret, and we're anxious because we think that we're going to somehow manipulate the situation and change something. We put ourselves in the sovereign position and saying, if I do this, if I'm anxious, if I'm worried, then I'll somehow change something about the situation that I'm going through. It's rooted in pride. It's taking the position of God when we worry. Because what we must realize is that we will not keep ourselves alive. Our survival is not dependent on our anxiety, but is dependent completely on God's control. So, what does worry get you? It gets you nothing, and it only shows what you is truly going on in your heart. Pride. The next thing is this. Kill anxiety by unearthing its root. By unearthing its root. Here, here's the issue that I have with self help books and I'm just going to rant for a second, is self-help books, they play on the topsoil, if you know what I mean. They say, hey, adjust some of your external features, the exterior stuff, get this right, get a new car, get a new house, you know, go to a new gym. Like, it it says all those things to make adjustments. Look, you do all these things, and you'll have, like, a worry-less life. If you just make these external adjustments. And the problem is that All these self-help books are not getting to the core of the issue. It doesn't matter whether you have the nicest house or the biggest car or anything like that. It doesn't fix the actual problem. It just puts some prettier arrangements on it. And so what Jesus is saying is that there's something deeper that's the problem of worrying and of anxiety. Something deeper. And that's, that's what he means here when he says... In verse 30, O you of little faith. And then if you look over here in 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now, why does he talk about faith, O you of little faith, and then the Gentiles? Because he's saying that at the core of worry is unbelief. When he calls them O you of little faith, he's saying You are acting like you have no faith, that you are faithless. And then when he calls them Gentiles, Gentiles are the unbelievers. Saying you're acting like unbelievers when you worry. So at the core of worry is unbelief. R.H. Mount says this great line. I would say this is one line you need to write down. Is that worry is practical atheism. Worry is practical atheism. Atheism. It's an affront to God. Now, how's worry practical atheism? We throw that atheism word around, atheism meaning no God. How's that that depicted in worry? Worry is practical atheism. Because what we're saying is this you verbally say that you believe in God, but in your practice, you worry so much about your current situation, you're saying, I don't trust God. Where is God right now? Who is God right now? That's what you're saying when you worry and you're anxious about situations. You're saying, I don't I don't have a God. So this is the core danger is that unbelief is expressed. It comes to fruition in worry. That's what worry says. And this is exactly how the world acts. Is that what happens when the world, when unbelievers go through... Difficult catastrophes, and they have difficult situations and dilemmas. How do they respond? They worry. They worry. The world worries, and they frets, and they wring their hands saying, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to make it? How am I going to make ends meet? What, what am I going to do? The world lives continually wringing its hands, and then it has sleepless nights because it's crippled with fear and worry and anxiety because they don't know how they're going to get it together and make it. But Jesus is saying, this cannot be the character of the Christian disciple. The Christian disciple is characterized by a trust and a fortified faith that despite where you're at, and despite what's going on, that you trust God, that He will provide what you need, He knows what you need, and He's able to give it to you, because He loves you. That's what makes us different from the world outside. The world worries and frets about how Things are going to come together. And the Christian disciple says, whatever he pleaseth, he will do. He will give what we need. Like George Mueller. So it is countercultural. Is that we don't look like the world. We don't respond like the world. So when you're trying to kill anxiety, when you're trying to kill worry, remember this. That when you do worry, what is it saying to the outside world? It's saying that you don't have a God saying that you don't trust God to give you what you need. It's saying that you don't believe in God. It's practical atheism. And lastly, it's kill worry by seeking His kingdom. By seeking His kingdom. So he puts this in contrast to the Gentiles. He says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But rather... Disciples of Christ, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. Rather than focusing on our physical needs and what we need for survival, focus on God's kingdom. Focus on His righteousness. Focus, Refocus your mind, reorient your mind. Rather than focusing completely on what you need for today, trust in God that He will give you what you need for today, and focus on conformity to Christ. Let that be your concern for that day. How am I going to grow to look more like Christ today? Rather than worrying about food, clothing, and drink, I'm going to put my concern on looking more like Christ today. And I will trust God that he will give me what I need to be sustained for today. That's what he means by seek first the kingdom of God. Prioritize his kingdom above your own. Because what worry says, worry says my kingdom is more important than God's kingdom. My needs are more important. It's selfish when we worry. It's always looking internally and saying, me, me, I, I. What do I need? What do I want? What what do I have to get? It's selfish. So we have to kill worry remembering. We have to seek his kingdom. Prioritize his above our own. Refocus our minds. Saying, look, I'm not going to think about these things. I'm not going to worry on these things. God will provide what I need for today. But I'm going to focus on becoming more like Jesus Christ today conforming to Christ rather than worrying about physical needs. But a lot of times, what distracts us from kingdom, from kingdom living and seeking his kingdom above above our own worries is that we get distracted and we think about the future. And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 34. He uses kind of a humorous term, or kind of idea, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Now that's kind of odd, like, look, usually anxiety is being referred to as as a person's problem, but he's saying tomorrow has enough anxiety of its own. Like, tomorrow's like wringing its hands like, oh, what am I going to do? He's saying tomorrow has its own troubles. Be concerned with today. And no better place is this realized than in Wes McKay's life in each semester that he took in in classes. So everybody, you'll just get a little picture into my life. Um, So in every semester, the worst part of the semester for me was not finals day. And it was not midterm, it was syllabus day. Oh man, Uh, so many tears were shed over syllabus day. Uh, Because when I would be handed the syllabus, and I would turn to page two, because everything, all the course requirements are on page two. They they fool you with page one and make you think that you're doing the right thing, and then they give you page two. But I turn to page two, and I see everything that I have to do, and I'm grippled with fear. How am I even going to get to the midterm? How am I going to even get that book review done? How am I going to even get to finals? I'm not even going to make it to finals. That's impossible. I, I just I want to get to tomorrow. But that's what we do, is that we tend to focus tomorrow. How am I going to do this tomorrow? How am I going to get this tomorrow? We become so worried and focused on what's going to happen tomorrow, is that we get distracted from seeking God's kingdom today and pursuing Christ's righteousness today, the righteousness that is given to us in the Sermon on the Mount. How am I developing these characteristics today? So what Jesus is telling us, focus on today. Don't look to tomorrow. It has its own problems. And the same thing Jesus tells us in his prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Be concerned with today, not tomorrow. Because if we begin looking to tomorrow and what tomorrow's needs are and what tomorrow's anxieties will be, we will be Constantly distracted from pursuing His kingdom and His righteousness and being conformed to Jesus Christ. So therefore, just in summary, these are the tools that God has given us to kill anxiety and worry. Is that we need to kill anxiety and worry with God's attributes, remembering what His character is and what His power is. And so when a situation comes like maybe potential job loss, Or maybe it's a sickness that you didn't expect. Or maybe you're just at the end of the month and I I don't know how ends are going to meet. I I don't know how we're going to make it tomorrow. Then you come and say, God, I know that you know what I need. And God, I know that you love me. And God, I know that you are powerful to give me what I need. So God, I'm going to be focused on today. I'm not going to worry about these physical needs. I'm not going to worry about how to pay these bills and how the money is going to come in. But God, I'm going to trust you because you can give those things. Fight anxiety with God's attributes. Fight anxiety with God's attributes. And then really realize, what is it going to get you if you worry? What does it actually get you? Does it get you anywhere in your process? It doesn't. It actually just wastes your time. And it says that you're prideful and that you somehow are sovereign and God is not. And so fight the issue in your heart when you come to situations like this to say, I can do this. Say, God can do this. And I'm going to continue to live like Christ today. So fight anxiety and worry with these truths of God's character and the truths that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6 and just to close I want to give us some hope in this is that we tend to belittle sins like I said last week like greed it's not really a big deal and like anxiety oh everybody does that everybody worries it is sin and anxiety is condemnable It's a sin because of what it says about God. And so think about that. Think about how do I reflect God to the world around me when I sit here and worry and when I'm anxious. What do I say about God? Because if I worry, all I'm saying about God is He's weak. He's clueless. He doesn't love me. It's... I'm sovereign, he's not. I can get this done. I'm going to seek my kingdom and not his. And I'm okay with practical atheism of not believing in a God. That's what worry says. So we have to kill it. We have to kill that. But that's exactly who Jesus came to save. Is the anxious of heart. We belittle the sin of anxiety and we exalt sins that seem more heinous. But Jesus came to save even the anxious of heart. And he's come to say, take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you've been struggling for years with anxiety, you've been worrying maybe even about a particular situation, and it's rippled you with fear and consumed all your mind and thoughts, remember these things and then remember, Jesus Christ has come and he's taken the sin of anxiety on the cross and he's been killed for that sin of worrying. He's been raised defeating that sin. So take hope in that, believer. That Jesus Christ has come to defeat even your sin of anxiety and worry. And he's come to give you freedom from that. That you don't have to worry. That you can trust and rest in God. One of the best illustrations and I'll end with this of trusting in God is Sleep. In the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 3, it says that David's being pursued by his enemies. And he says, O oh Lord, my foes are many against me. And it says, I lay down and I slept. Now, here's the crazy thing. You're being pursued by people who want to kill you. You don't lay down and sleep. Right? That's crazy. But we then see our Savior in the gospels when the wind and the waves are beating down on their ship and what is he doing he's sleeping let us mimic our savior let us mimic david that even in those times when situations may attack us to be burdened and to be tempted to be anxious let us rest that god can do more in our sleeping than when we when we are awake let's pray God, we need your help. Because the world tempts us to say, act like us. You need to be worried. You need to fret. You need to do something. But God, teach us. Teach us, God, to rest in you. To rest in your providential care of your people. That you do love us. That you do care for us. God. Let us fight anxiety with these truths. Lord, we love you and we praise you.